Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, I've got a couple of things here before we jump into the message. First, I have an announcement to make. It's a good one. I'm just going to sort of point in this direction while I say it. Let's see what happens. Uh, youth camp starts tomorrow. <laughs> And here. It was all over. Okay, just the concentration over here. Uh, Youth camp starts tomorrow. Youth camp starts tomorrow. Big, big news. So, um, speaking of big, 87 kids are going to be at camp? That's a lot. I asked my wife, who is our youth pastor, is that too much? And she was like, no. But yeah, it's too much. So... (laughs) So that's 87 kids. It does not um, include uh, folks from our Springbrook family. Uh, it does not include actually sixth graders because we kicked them out because there wasn't enough space in the camp. Sorry, sixth graders. We'll see you next year. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's really remarkable what God is doing in our youth ministry. It's so cool to hear the report, story after story. So-and-so got saved this week. So-and-so is getting baptized next week. Uh, so-and-so had a word from the Lord, and it stirred, and anyway, it's like such cool things that he's doing, and then these things really get elevated at youth camp, and it's just, it's really, really simple. When we set aside time as holy before the Lord, we set aside time to commune with God. He honors that, and he meets with us, and we've got scores of teenagers doing exactly that this week, so you need to be praying for them. It, look, I don't want to get hyper-spiritual about this thing. We have an enemy. He is really unhappy about what's happening in our youth ministry in general, and he is not at all pleased about what the Lord has in plan for this, has in store for this coming week. So we, all of us, need to pray. Amen? All right, so to that end, if you said amen, I made a, a mental picture. I know who you are. I remembered your names. I have logged it all away. On your way out, when you leave, in the entryway, there's a, a basket with a bunch of names in it. All the names of all the kids who are going to be at youth camp. Names of all the leaders who are going to youth camp. Do they need prayer too? Oh, yes. Yes. Would I do what they're doing? Not for a million dollars. No way. Thank God for you. Uh, so those names as well. Uh, last year, I cheated, took two names. Uh, got a leader and a student, the student that I, and, that I was praying for, the name that I got. This is where I ask you to do. Pick up a, that name and then pray for that person all day, just throughout the day. Just keep it in your pocket, keep it with you every day and throughout the day. Be praying for the Lord's kingdom to come and his will to be done in the life of that person. Last year I cheated. I got two. The kid that I was praying for got saved that week. I was so fired up. I was so excited, guys. So I, I just want to encourage you on your way out, grab those and then be in prayer throughout the week. So that's the first thing. Now, second thing, uh, uh, an update on the building. Uh, This is one of three services we're having in this building. We are moving soon to a larger space. Uh, It's a mile down the road, same street, same side of the street, right across from William Blunt High School. 
Um, and we are like in the full throes now of a big renovation project over there. Um, and things are going just lovely. So uh, there are ups and downs like projects like this as always. Um, but we have, a, we have tentative dates. Everybody say tentative. All right, I'll, we'll leave it at that. We have tentative dates in mind. Uh, we plan, and this is sort of our best guess, and it's probably going to move, could go forward, could move backward, I don't know. But we are looking at our first sort of normal worship service there on August 13th, which is ex- right around two months from today. Well, the plan now is on the week prior to that, August 6th, is uh, we will actually not hold services here uh, because we'll be taking a bunch of stuff from here and setting it up over there, that whole deal. Instead, we're going to have church online uh, that Sunday, and then we're going to meet Sunday night for an open house um, at that. So you can you know, familiarize with the space and inevitably break something. And we're like, oh, it's all new. We just broke something. And that'll be fine. Um, so we're going to do that. That's the plan to the open house on the 6th and the 13th of August to have our first sort of services there um, with what I guess would be the new normal. So um, those dates could move either way, so hold them loosely. I've been asking you guys to pray specifically about the HVAC units. There's two large units that we've been waiting, and they're delayed and all this stuff, and I said, please pray, and we're hoping they get there in August, and now we're moving in in August, and now you, those of you with faith are like, yeah, yeah, the dates changed. The dates did change. We're now expecting them in October, so <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That does not mean we're going to be sweating it out for the first couple of months. Uh, what that means is uh, we are actually, there's, we do have two large units uh, that, were, that are just old, that are still there. One of them's working, and another one we're going to get working. That's the plan. And so uh, for a couple of months, we're going to have that Band-Aid solution, and part of our prayer each Sunday will be, dear Lord, please don't let these things, let them get us to October. So that's the plan. They should be fine. Um, that is the plan. But please don't take your foot off the gas praying for uh, those units to show up unexpectedly soon because uh, it would just be fantastic um, if that, that was sort of, the, sort of the only sort of asterisk next to the whole thing. So please keep praying in that direction. Um, that's the update. Things are up. They're speeding up and there'll be more updates to follow. We're going to do another one next week. So um, that's that. For those of you who have given and are giving, I just want to say thank you so much. Last building update, I said we're really watching the numbers closely to see if we run out of cash on hand uh, before we finish over there. And, and since then, there's been good news and bad news and ups and downs, and you guys have given even more, and it's and bad, and it just, and I, the numbers are all moving. Guys, I don't know, but we're, we're watching that number closely and praying that that's the reality so we don't have to do anything, anything wonky as we move in. So um, if you are uh, and have been giving, I just want to say thank you so, so much. If you are at all inclined to give, uh, either because you haven't or the Lord would, would stir in your heart to move and, and to give more, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we're celebrating with every gift because we're, again, that number's right on the line. Um, uh, feeling, feeling pretty good about it, but it's something uh, for us to all be praying about as, as well. Now, I, I said uh, a few weeks ago um, that I, I really think that God is making this building available to us. Um, and sort of saying, hey, I'm going to make this available for you, uh, but I'm trusting you to not do that thing that churches do, where for months at a time, church ceases to be about Jesus and just is about buildings and construction. And I'm so determined that we not do that. That as excited as we are and as invested as we are in moving and all the opportunity that's going to bring to us, that, that we don't lose the plot along the way. 
And so uh, we're starting a three-week series today, um, Joining God in the Renewal of All Things. That's the mission of our church. And really, this is an attempt for us to sort of kind of double down on that commitment, that we are not going to lose the plot and make this whole thing about a building, and we, we sort of keep our bearings as we transition. So that's um, what we're starting today. Uh, along those lines, I've had three specific images just noodling around in my head uh, for months now as I've uh, prayed about and thought about our church. And so what we're actually going to do is we're going to spend a Sunday on each of those images. And my hope is that we can get these images just really deeply embedded, just work them in real deep, sort of tattooed on your soul there um, so that they don't dislodge and we don't forget them, at least not anytime soon. That's the goal um, so we're going to jump into that. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Usually we, we read the scripture toward the beginning. Uh, today's a bit different. We'll read the scripture toward the end. Just a heads up for that. Uh, the first image of the three that we're going to discuss, uh, and this would be entirely unsurprising to many of you, um, the first image is a very large sailboat. Um, this goes back to two visions that I had, and I've only had three in my whole life. So when I say vision... I mean that in the most spiritual, ooey-ooey kind of way. Like, I mean an open vision where the Lord put something in front of my eyes. Um, so uh, this goes back, this image, to two of those visions. I, I've shared them with you a number of times. Uh, but for the sake of our guests, I'm going to do a quick recap. All right? Those of you who've been here a long time, you're like, no, you're not. You're going to go forever about it. I'm really not. It's going to be a quick recap. Count on me. Support me. Okay. The first picture was an image of me all by myself on a little sailboat out on open waters, trying desperately to sail. But it was a ridiculous picture because I had left the sail down. You can't sail without a, without a sail. And I had the sail put away. Um, and so instead of trying to catch the wind to propel me forward, what I was doing, and this is pathetic, I was reaching over the side of the boat and I was frantically paddling with my hands. Um, and in that, the Lord was showing me how I was, I was trying to do it all myself, my own effort, that I was not trusting in the wind of the Spirit to carry me forward. We talked about this a lot. The, word, uh, the Greek word for spirit is the word uh, pneuma. literally means wind. I wasn't trusting the Spirit to carry me forward. And it was incredibly formative for me. And with that image being central, um, the next few years, my, I, I just... It was really transforming for me. Um, and I've, I finally, in a real way, learned to walk with Jesus uh, and to trust Jesus. And look, I'm, I'm still absolutely stumbling as I go, but it was a major pivot point for me. That was and when in my life I went from rowing to sailing. And that meant from striving to enjoying. It was really important. Anyway, because it was such a big deal for me, I meditate on that image every single day. I don't decide to, I just do. It's happened for years now. It's like brushing my teeth. It's entirely habitual. I just do it every day. I, my mind turns to the, 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 that image again and again. And, and one day, while I was thinking about this, and this is after I had been thinking about and this image every day for years, I was doing that, you know, yet another day, day 1,000 and whatever of thinking about that. And the Lord elbowed in into that moment, and he asked me three obvious questions that I cannot believe that I had not considered before. These are the three questions. Why are you the only one in the boat? 
Why is there only one sail? Where are the other boats? And then he gave me a second vision. Uh, this time of a much larger sailboat. With lots and lots of sails and lots and lots of people. And unlike the image behind me, other, lots of other boats all around. Now, I'm still working out what all that means. Um, but at a minimum, it's a picture of the church. And I, I, I think it's a picture of our church in particular. Um, a picture of us moving together collectively. Us as a family putting our sails up together catching the wind of the Spirit as we proceed. So, obviously, you're an individual. Uh, I am too. It really matters that you individually work out your individual personal life with Jesus. That's super important. In some sense, we really are all just little sailboats, and it's vitally important that we, all of us, individually, learn how to keep up our sails, which we talk about a lot. Okay. But with that said, we are, you are, designed for community. you you, you got to work out the whole you and Jesus thing for sure. But hear me on this. You cannot possibly work out the you and Jesus thing without a spiritual family. Um, our default terminology, just in our language around, you know, church. You know, Christianese, we have our whole, all these words that we use. We don't even realize it. Our default terminology for when somebody finds life with Jesus is Christian. We say, well, they became a Christian, or I became a Christian, or I'm a Christian now. That's the language we use uh, all the time. And that's great. It's, like a, it's a really good word. The word Christian literally means little Christ. I think that's great. I love that. Um, and it's a biblical word, too, so it's good. Uh, three times in the Bible, we are called Christians. Here's the thing. We're also called apprentices or, or disciples. That's the Greek word methetes. We're called that 268 times. That's more than three. The way to become a little Christ is to be an apprentice of Jesus. Sit at his feet and to walk with him day in and day out as apprentices do. And there's another thing we're called a lot. Adelphoi. Uh, that's the Greek word It means brothers and sisters or siblings. We're called that 342 times. It's a lot. Being a Christian, listen, it's very important. Being a Christian is about apprenticing with Jesus and joining a family. Say it again. Being a Christian is about apprenticing with Jesus and joining a family. It's about walking with Jesus hour by hour and looking around, recognizing these are your siblings that you're with. This is a, this picture of a, of a massive sailboat of us moving together as one, of each of us putting up our sails, catching the wind of the Spirit together in unity of purpose. It's really, really important. And, biblically speaking, it's a way more central idea than the one about you and your little sail and sailboat and me and my little sail and sailboat. This is far and away the more central biblical idea. It's really important. Just trying to work this image in. So anyway, 
a few Sundays back, a couple months ago now, I guess, while we were all worshiping together, uh, there was another person in the church who, who also received a vision from the Lord, and she shared it with me. Um, and I, th- I actually think it's really compelling, and I think the two may be related, so I'm, I'm going to share it with you now. What, what she saw uh, was an image of a kite sort of flying erratically like they do. You know when you get a kite uh, like really high, then it kind of stabilizes and it's all good and it pulls on the string and everything stays taut. But if, if you, before you get to that point where it's really soaring, then it's, just, then it's just flopping around all over the place. And I know a lot of people are like, do people still fly kites? I have a drone. What are you talking about? But there's lore of these little floaty things in the sky uh, called kites. And before they really get going, while you're still trying to like, get them up, then they'll, they'll, they'll flop around and then they will slam into the ground. Have you noticed they don't, like they can't catch the wind up there, but they'll catch the wind enough to slam nose first into the ground. It never just come, the gentle land, just smash every time. And so that's the thing. You, you on a beach, you in a field, running frantically, trying to get the thing up and get it to stay, and it only, it only slams to the ground again and again. Anyway, that's what she saw. Was that happening over and over? Um, she explained to me that she felt that like, that was a picture of where she was spiritually. She couldn't quite seem to get a good run together, you know, and get some real height. And so you just sort of flutter around, you get off the ground for a second, and then you crash. Now, I'm betting that many of you can relate to that feeling, right? In fact, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because less than all of you would raise your hands, and that would annoy me. I'd be like, yeah, no, no, you can relate. I know that you can relate. Don't, so I'm, I'm not going to do that, because I don't want to be distracted the rest of the, be like, they didn't raise their hand, and they didn't raise their hand, and I counseled with them. We talked about this. How come they didn't raise their hand? By the way, it wouldn't be because you're just being mean, or, but what happens is, and I just, I just want you to know that I know this, it's always weird when the preacher asks you to do something, because it's sort of not the setup, and raise your hand or repeat after me. I know that's all sort of obnoxious. And it's, it's because, it's not because you're being mean or you don't want to participate. It's because you spaced out. It's a horrible feeling when you space out and you look around and most people have their hands in the air and you're like, oh no, what? Is he asking if we love Jesus? Like, am I a jerk if I don't raise my hand right now? Is he asking for a volunteer? If so, I'd ch- chop my arm off. I don't want to do that. Like, what, what has had that sort of panicking moment? So anyway, um, the point is, you can probably relate to the kite thing. So I was thinking about that, and I was praying for her, um, and I was praying for others in our church who certainly feel or have felt that way. And it occurred to me, stick with me on this, it occurred to me that I've spent a lot of time thinking about the silliness of a boat without a sail. But what about the silliness of a sail without a boat? That's what a kite is, right? That's what it is. It's a sail without a boat. And just as important as not sailing without a sail, which is something we've talked about a lot, keep your sails up, catch the wind of the Spirit, let's make sure that we're also not trying to sail without a boat, without a collective, without one another. 
Three times in Scripture we're called Christians. 342 times we're called brothers and sisters. Siblings in the family. We're a family. We're a collective. And we move forward, if we move forward, we move forward together. We share a mission. We share a purpose. We're trying to catch the same wind. The family of God is the boat, y'all. Does it bother you when I say y'all? I wonder now, because there's lots and lots of people in our church now who ain't from here. And so I just wonder if it bothers you. In case it does, I just want to say this with love. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, I'm from here. It's my birthright, okay? And also, the word y'all is genius, and it solves a really big problem with the English language. Let me explain. But this isn't just a tangent. I have a point for all this. I'm just not, I'm going somewhere. Actually, we're going to do this a little bit for each of these three uh, things. I know, I know a lot of, st- of our students in the room, people in school, and I know how much our students right now are, are missing school, uh, how you wake up every morning early wanting to learn something, a thirst for knowledge, and now that's, you're not experiencing that. And so for each of these three weeks, I have a little school lesson pr- planned. Today's lesson is grammar. The English language has a big stinking problem. There is no second person plural in the English. So let me explain. We have uh, um, first, second, and third person singular. So if you're speaking in the first person, it's I. If you're speaking in the second person, it's you. If you're speaking in the third person, um, then we say he or she. And, and I know there's more to it than that. And if you're like a theological knit-knack, it's like, or pardon me, a grammatical, just leave me alone. I don't, don't fact check me. This is the gist, okay? First person, I. Second person, you. Third person, he or she. Now let's look at the plural. The first person is we. That's a different word. The third person is they. That's not he or she. It's they. The second person plural is you. The first person plural is you. The second person plural is you. When we mean you, we say you. But when we mean more than you, more than one of you, we still say you. That's dumb. (laughs) It's stupid. It's just a big problem. I'm tired of not talking about it. That's dumb. We don't have that word. So, in a stroke of southern genius, we reckon we ought to fix it. And by golly, we did. Y'all. Boom. Soft. It's, what, it's very useful. Now, why am I saying all this? Because, I, I'm being silly, but it's actually really important. When we read the Bible in English, which presumably that's most of us, uh, we miss a lot, and I mean a whole, whole lot because of this. When the Bible means y'all, as in a group, we just see the word you. And in our radically individualized culture, when we see you, we think 
you, singular, me, I. This is referring to an individual. And as a direct result, we lose sight of our communal life with Jesus. We miss the hundreds, hear me, hundreds and hundreds of times. The Bible is saying y'all, and we don't see it. We read you this and you that, but the Bible is actually saying you as a team, you as a group, you as a collective, you as a family, as a unit, not you as an individual. Now, some wonderful people, this is not a joke, have helped us remedy this problem. There's a website that I would like to come into you now called yallversion.com. Y-A-L-L version.com. It is silly, but it is not a joke. It is really helpful. And what it does is it takes some common translations of the Bible. And then every time there's a second person plural, it takes out the word you because that's dumb. And it puts in the word y'all. And here's the thing. It reads entirely different. Like it's really a significant shift as you read it. Let's look at a few verses. In the y'all version. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, it is like, we can, please feel free to laugh. This is super silly, I know. But I am dead serious. Okay? Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge y'all... To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which y'all have been called. I'm just going to pause there. And if you're, if you're a Sunday school rat, you got a Bible you carry under your arm that you read a lot, then you've read Ephesians 4 a bunch of times. And I can all but guarantee you that when you read that, you read me singular. I have a calling. I have to follow my calling. I have to walk individually in a manner that is worthy of my individual calling. And it's not what the Bible says. You collectively, a family, a unit, have been called to something. And y'all have to work, have to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Do you see how that language makes more sense now? As we're talking about bearing with one another, And keeping unity of the Spirit, it's because this is not talking about you as an individual. This is talking about us as a collective. Verse 3, or verse 4. There is one body, one Spirit, just as y'all were called to the one hope that belongs to y'all's call. I like that part. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all Y'all, I added that one. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So just, again, he, he's, he's, not, he's not denying the individualist, individualistic nature of humanity like we each have gifts. He's saying, individually, you have gifts. And you have a personal life with Jesus. But we're doing this together. Again, picture the boat. That's why he's saying, maintain unity. Put your sails up together. Point them in the same direction. One Lord, one faith, one Father, a collective, a bond of faith. And as y'all work to live this out, to live, it, to live it out in a way that is worthy of our collective calling, we're doing that together. And here's what I want you to see. You, singularly, you as an individual, actually cannot live out your calling. 
because it's a y'all. Don't be a boat without a sail. That's ridiculous. You got to catch the wind. But for crying out loud, don't be a sail without a boat. Don't be a kite. We do this together. I'm going to keep reading from this text. I think that's all the y'alls. But I want to hear, he continues, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's another image, the boat thing. It's a collective body, same idea, all working together in unison. Until we all attain, listen, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's an incredible promise as we work collectively. Saying, you, we use, he talks about individual gifts again. We use the church family and we express our gifts individually within that, but we do that in order that we might spur one another on so that the body, the boat, the collective is built up. And the result, he says, is unity, it's maturity, it's knowledge, it's the full measure, the full stature that God has for us. I don't even know what that means, but I want it. And the picture is that is, is no more stunted growth. Just growth as we collectively grow to become what God wants us to be. A couple more verses, just want you to see the outcome, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, not like the kite, all right, which is untethered without a home, without an anchor, and as a result, just slung around by everything. But instead, like a boat tethered, tied to a mast, something bigger than ourselves. Without that, and many of you have seen this, we are fooled by every false doctrine, by every little human trick, by every lie of the enemy, all the cunning, when we go it alone. But when we are moving together as a collective, as a unified family, all right, it's entirely different. We stay connected, we ground one another. Two more verses. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up in love. In other words, when we all put our sails up, point them in the same direction, we collectively catch the wind of the Spirit and move together. We are a y'all, y'all. We're a family. Now, with all that in mind, I just want to, I just want to, I'm wrapping up here, I just want to say, I want to acknowledge that what is perhaps for some the elephant in the room. Um, all this family talk, I, I just want to acknowledge that that's really loaded language for a lot of people. Um, and, and, and some of you may even be going, can we just, can we use a different word for that? Like, I need a, I need a trigger warning before we start talking about family. For a lot of people, family is a four-letter word, right? And you're just like, no, that's, that's not going to help me. I need a different image. And I want to, I want to gently actually try to push back on that a little bit. First, I want to acknowledge the dynamic that's, that's so much hurt like for a lot of people. And it, it makes sense why the more you love people, the more it hurts when they let you down. It's a reality. Um, so I get it. I get it. In fact, um, 
after I write sermons, I do a little description of the sermon for the website, and then sometimes part of that description gets pulled into the text message that you guys get, if you get that. Some of you are like, we have a text, yeah, sign up for the text message. Anyway, um, a little, and it gives a little summary sometimes, and uh, just in case when I gave that summary uh, for this one, I, I didn't say the word family. I intentionally said the word community, because I know there's a bunch of people who are like, oh, we're talking about family? Nope. See you next week. I, I get it. It's loaded. Get it. But I don't want us to abandon the term. So without getting too sort of big picture sociological here, just real quickly, um, sociologists, anthropologists, they use this language of a, a strong group mentality versus a weak group mentality. And this is a sort of cultural societal analysis. So um, in many societies, there's a strong group mentality which says, our ideas of groups are very strong. Um, if you're in a group, that means a whole, whole lot. It, it defines you. Your identity comes from it. Your worldview is shaped by it. The group is central. That's a strong group worldview. A weak group worldview is just the groups are seen as much weaker. And they don't, they're not nearly as highly valued. Um, in a strong group or a collective mindset, the group is considered more important than the individual. In an, however, in a highly individualistic society like ours, we have very much so, by the way, to the most extreme measure than there has ever been at any place throughout the history of the world, we have here a weak group mentality where the individual is vastly more important than the group. Now, this is really deeply embedded, deeply trained. It's the air that we breathe in the society. I just want you to know that a weaker group mentality, historically, is, is a new thing. You know, in the, the modern industrialized West, that's where this has become a reality in recent decades. Before that, it just wasn't a thing. Throughout cultures and throughout history, the group was always more important than the individual. And for us to even consider that possibility would require a massive paradigm shift. So I'm, I'm trying to tread lightly. I want to acknowledge that. That's a, that's a whole different way of seeing things to where a group would be considered more important than the individual. So because this is a new phenomenon, it's limited to essentially the modern West, what that means is very much so in Jesus' day, he was in that strong group society. In fact, Hebrew society was way more so than even most societies at the time. The group was central. The group was the identity. The family was the central unit. We understood how we move out into the world through those lenses. Um, that is, by the way, why in, um, for so long and throughout so many cultures, uh, even the idea of arranged marriages could even be accepted. For us, that just sounds bonkers, right? And I'm not giving commentary about that, but just for us, that sounds so wild. But in a group, a strong group mentality, your marriage isn't first and foremost about you. Your marriage is first and foremost about helping the family move forward. And that's a strong group mentality. In fact, this is really interesting. In Jesus' day, the assumption was not that your spouse would be your best friend. Now, in our society, that's absolutely the case. We, we all say, oh, my spouse is my best friend. We say it when it's not true. 
Because if not, it would be like, well, your spouse should be your best. Oh, she is. She's my, we're, mm, we are absolutely, no one else I'd rather be with. Now, for me, it's actually true. Sharon's actually my best friend. But even if it's not true, people will say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah we're best friends. Because that's the assumption. And it's like, what's wrong with you if that's not the case? That was not the assumption in Jesus' day. The assumption is that your sibling that you were closest to, that would be your best friend in the world. I see, because your family. Because the unit. And with that mind, I want you to acknowledge what a really, really big deal it was that time and time again, Jesus referred to his mathetes, to his apprentices, as his adelphoi, as his brothers and sisters. He's, he was connecting them to the strongest relationship in the world in that context. Really big deal that Jesus called them his brothers and sisters. Jesus did not at all reject the strong group mentality that we're talking about. He actually added to it. He actually cranked it up. But his application was not biological, genealogical lines. His application was the spiritual family. There's a time when Jesus is teaching, and somebody said, hey, your, your mother and brother are upset with you. And remember what he said? He said, who are, my, who are my mother and brothers? And he looks at them and says, you're my mothers and brothers. He says, the people who listen to and obey the Lord, those are my bro- mothers and brothers. What he's saying is, there's no family like spiritual family. So listen, while we may, some of us particularly, if you've got some baggage connected to this, I want to really acknowledge that, but we may want to actually dial the family language down um, because of our background, because of our radically individualized cultural wiring. But Jesus was actually cranking it up. A scholar named Joseph Hellerman, and he actually suggests that a better word for justification, if you're church kids, you know that word, we're justified um, by grace through faith. Um, He said a better word for justification is actually familyification. Familification, there we go. Familification. You are familyed. You are familified. That's what it means to be saved. You are familified by grace through faith. This idea of families cranked up, not down. I know some people could push back and say, but actually, for me, family is connected to a lot of trauma. But what Jesus was pointing to is that if family for you is connected to a lot of trauma, that doesn't mean that we discard the notion of family. What he actually says is, well, how about then you lean into healing by way of family? Trauma via family, the answer is actually healing via family. So, last idea here, the band can come on up. Uh, We're going to continue in worship. State the obvious here, guys, the world is broken. But I remind you of something we say all the time, all the time. Jesus is not trashing all things. He is renewing all things. And look, it might be offensive for me to even, for a select few, this might be offensive for me to even suggest. Here's what I would say. I, Jesus doesn't want you to discard the notion of family. He wants you to allow him to redeem it. And part of that is embracing the church both local church and the church at large, 
has family. You might go, I've just got a handful of family members. I got a lot of trauma. Now you're telling me I got a couple billion more? That does not sound safe. That sounds vulnerable. And I actually say, you're right, it is vulnerable. And I wouldn't actually argue that it's entirely safe, but I just, I want you to remember how God set this up. Mathetes and Eldafoy, apprentices and siblings. That's how this works itself out. We apprentice under Jesus and we walk with our family in unity. And guys, let's face it, the kite thing doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to be tethered. We need a collective.